Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Let's get started. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King. Lord, we say that uh, we are um, privileged to be able to sit once again and to study and to learn of you. Lord, we pray that you will uh, continue to allow us to be diligent and to be faithful about uh, studying and reading and seeking to understand your words of life. Uh, we thank you, Father, that you have given us a will, a, a desire to do your will, and uh, you have empowered us by your Spirit to be able to walk into your ways. Uh, we know that you have, um, you have of, uh, uh, commissioned us to be lights, to be salt, to be a witness in the earth. And so for that reason, Lord, we know that this is a, 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 um, uh, a heavy responsibility. So we're not just doing this because of the novelty of it. We're not just doing this because this is a, a hobby of ours to study Torah. Uh, this is not just something we do because it's a social club, and a, um, a clever way for us to gather together and, and have fun each week. Although we're not denying that it is, in fact, fun but lord we we, we want to um uh, know that this this is a, a commission this is something that you have called us to do you have chosen us and that you have uh, given us uh, a responsibility to take your words uh, to those around that don't know and so lord we have to study in order to know um, thank you for each and every student who's been able to make it tonight uh, and for the weeks uh, uh, from time to time lord i pray that those who are wanting to attend but could not because of other obligations or because of schedule conflicts. I pray that you'll bless them nevertheless and that you'll give them uh, maybe the opportunity to join in the future. Uh, be with each and every one of us as we uh, prepare our hearts tonight. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. Bishop Yeshua. Amen. Well, uh, my name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tenuva in Thornton, Colorado. If you're ever um, in our area, you're certainly invited to come out and join us on Saturdays for our Shabbat services. Um, Pastor Mark McClellan uh, brings the messages each week. Uh, however, if you're listening to my commentaries week by week, you're not going to find me in Colorado. That's because I reside in another part of the world, actually way over in Asia. I bring these uh, commentaries to you live each week uh, from South Korea. Delighted to have you. This is week 58 of the Galatians study, and we're just plugging along week by week 
and we're working our way through the written notes that I've put together. You can find them on the web at my website at www.tetzetorah.com. That's spelled T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com, tetzetorah.com. Right at the very top, click on the link that says Galatians Commentary, and you should find all the relevant information there, including the written notes, as well as links to the weekly audio recordings that I make for each week. And you should be able to uh, find information about um, uh, subscribing to the weekly commentary as well. If you subscribe, you have the benefit of receiving the weekly notes where um, I, I take the, the, try to take the, uh, the, the expected snippet of information that we're going to be studying each week and I send it in the uh, notes to the students in advance a few days usually before. That way you can see what we're going to be talking about from week to week. Also, if you're a subscriber, which is free by the way, if you're a subscriber, then you'll also receive the notices about when the audio recording is available for listening, which is usually a few days after the live recording as well as receiving any notices of cancellations or any special notes that I might send out. So, uh, hope you can make it each week. And again, if you can't, just head on out to my website and you can follow along the audio commentary that way. Okay, without further ado, let's date stamp our recording real quick. Tonight is the first day of April for most of you, April 1st. Um, what do we say, this is April Fool's Day or something like that? Um... April 1st, 2017, and we're in week 58, which means we'll meet tonight, and we'll meet next week, uh, and then we, uh, we'll meet one more week, and then we'll take a break. I think that should coincide, if I'm correct, with Pesach coming up pretty soon. If not, we'll probably take a week for Pesach either way. So give me a moment, let me just look at, uh, let me look at Skype to see some of my, uh, other students are posting some notes for me. Uh, okay, and yes, okay, all right, um, so for those of you who are in the live class with me tonight, uh, look at your screen, there we go, should have the screen sharing going on, and we'll go ahead and get started with the, um, liturgy for tonight, let's read the general blessing for the Torah for tonight, and then we'll read some, uh, verses, a verse or two out of the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament. The blessing for the Torah reads this way in English. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves with the words of Torah. Please, Lord our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in the mouths, in our mouths and in the mouths of all your people, Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring... I'm sorry, let's try that again. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, may we all together know your name and study your Torah for the sake of fulfilling your desire. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations and gave us the Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. May the Lord bless you and keep watch over you. May the Lord make his presence enlighten you, and may he be kind to you. May the Lord bestow favor on you and grant you peace. I pulled that liturgy, uh, as I mentioned in previous times, I pulled that from the Hebrew for Christians website, um, which is uh, a nice site of Hebrew and English prayers and blessings and things like that, commentaries. Let's read the Hebrew as well. It reads, 
Baruch atah Adonai Elohinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzotayv V'Tzivanu Lasok B'Divrei Torah V'Harev Na Adonai Elohinu Et Divrei Torah Tcha B'Finu Ufyot Hamcha um, I'm sorry Ufvi Amcha Beit That's a little different word there Ufvi Amcha Beit Yisrael V'nichye anachnu v'tze'etze'enu v'tze'etze'ei amcha beit Yisrael kulanu yodei shmecha v'lomdei toratecha lishma baruchata Adonai ham lamed Torah la'amo Yisrael baruchata Adonai lochinu melech ha'olam asher b'char banu mechol ha'amim v'natan lanu et torato baruchata Adonai noten ha'torah iverecha Adonai v'yishmerecha, Yair Adonai panayv eilecha v'chunecha, Yisa Adonai panayv eilecha v'yasim lecha shalom. Okay, let's turn now to one verse out of the book of Deuteronomy, which is going to be uh, uh, repeated in the uh, study that we're using in the book of Galatians. We're, we're, we're in the book of, we're in the chapter 3 of Galatians, and Paul is going to be quoting a passage out of the book of Deuteronomy. So part of our liturgy is going to include just that single pasik, that single verse. And the verse that Paul quotes is Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, the final verse in that chapter, which reads out of the ESV, quote, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And if we turn to the uh, Hebrew of that, let's read that as well. Uh, Deuteronomy 27, 20, the last verse. Give me a moment. Find it here. Okay, and we're starting right here on the lower right-hand side with the word arur there. Verse 26 reads, Arur asher lo yakim et divrei Torah hazot la'asot Otam va'amor kol ha'am amen. And we'll just read that one verse only for our liturgy. Let's jump now over to uh, Galatians chapter 3. Same Bible version, ESV. Let's read Galatians 3.10 only. Just one verse. That's the verse we'll be studying tonight. We already started reading that last week, and we're going to continue this week. Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 10 of chapter 3 in the ESV. Galatians reads, quote, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. End quote. And if we read the uh, Greek of that, let's pull up Nestle, 1904. And verse 10, starting right here, for those of you who are in my live class, I just highlighted it for you. It reads, Hosoi gar ex ergonamu. Asin hupo kataran asin gegraptai garhati epikatartas pas has uk emene pasin tois gegramenois en to biblio tu namu tu poiesaiauta. Okay, and we'll stop there with our liturgy. Okay, uh, let's jump into the commentary. As I mentioned uh, in previous uh, teachings, um, we're going week by week, and we're just taking a bite, uh, a little bit here and a little bit there, out of the commentary, just going kind of paragraph by paragraph. And we'll teach for about 45 minutes or so, so it's about 20 minutes after the hour. I think I'll go to about the top of the hour for where you're at, since I started a little late. 
um, started at about 15 after, so I'll go to the top of the hour, and then after the live teaching, those of you who are in the live chat with me are encouraged to stay if you can, if you've got time. Stay for about, I'll say, half an hour this time, um, where we just uh, have some live chat, discussion, after class chat, whatever you want to call that. Um, we can just share with one another, uh, throw questions back and forth to one another. And uh, this feature is only available to those who are in the live chat, meaning if you're listening to this commentary and it's a recording via the MP3 or iTunes or whatnot, you're not going to be able to hear the live chat because I don't record it. Okay, uh, look at the um, commentary, the written notes. Uh, if you are following along with me, we're near the bottom of page 112 where we are going to pick up with the uh, paragraph starting this phrase, or the phrase, cursed is everyone. So, just to create a segue from last week, we talked about how that Paul is teaching the Galatians uh, something that is rooted in the Torah of Moshe, something that they themselves are uh, in need of understanding from their first century perspective. The words of Moshe have already been handed down to Israel. Therefore, Paul is going to be um, uh, centering his theology on the written word of God. He doesn't need to make up new theology. He doesn't need to reinvent uh, the wheel, so to say. The theology uh, that he needs to teach the Galatians is already present. It's already there in the Tanakh. It's there in the Torah. And Paul is now going to masterfully um, explain it to them. And that's why he's going to quote from the book of Deuteronomy. And he's going to be building his case from that. What we learned last week is that there are a few different ways to understand this verse out of uh, Galatians. All who rely on the uh, words of the law are under curse. For, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not conform to do all the things of the words in the book. Something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. Um, we've learned from previous studies that it's not uncommon to find a, 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 um, a, a prevailing viewpoint that Paul is combating some sort of theology that was possibly existing in, existing in his first day, where the, maybe the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles were wanting to become covenant members. The Jews and the Gentiles were possibly uh, believing that uh, what God was expecting of covenant members is that they keep every single commandment of the Torah perfectly if they wish to be counted as righteous. And uh, if they were to find themselves failing at one point, well then according to the book of James, using that theology that we're aware of, that if they fail at one, then they are guilty of breaking all. Most people in Christianity are familiar with the verse in James. I don't have to really quote it here, but I probably will bring it up in my, uh, in my notes here sooner or later. But essentially, there's a teaching in Christianity today that's popular that teaches that the Jewish people of the, of the first century believed that God expected them to keep every single commandment of the Torah and to do it perfectly, meaning there were two standards kind of working at, at the same time. One was the standard that taught that we have to keep every single one of them if we can't want to be counted as righteous. And two, we were expected not only to keep them all, but to keep them perfectly. You understand both of these points are seemingly emphasized in Christianity. Of course, within this same argument within Christianity um, about keeping the Torah and the, keeping all of the Torah and keeping it perfectly, the point is brought up that number one, no one can keep all of the Torah, and number two, no one can keep it perfectly. Therefore, since it is an impossible endeavor, then the the the, the reason. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the only conclusion that a person 
can find themselves in is to give up trying to keep the Torah at all, since no one can keep it all and no one can keep it perfectly. The only, the only solution is to give up on that and to throw your hands up in desperation, crying out for mercy to God, in which case God will um, open your eyes to understand that only the Messiah can bring you into a righteous relationship with, with, with himself, uh, namely bring you into a saving relationship. Thus, you, once you're on the other side of the door, in other words, you've passed through the doorway known as salvation and faith in Messiah, you can then do an about-face and look back at your former life as a Jew or someone who's trying to keep the Torah and realize, wow, cursed is anyone who tries who does not keep everything written in the book. Wow, there's no way I could keep everything. Therefore, it was an impossible endeavor. I was cursed from the word go because I could not keep it all. And cursed is anyone who does not keep it all. What is more, based on the book of James, and I now understand that even if I thought I could keep it all, in reality, if I was guilty of breaking one, I was guilty of breaking all. So therefore, it really is an impossibility to try and keep not only all of the Torah perfectly, but to try and keep all of the Torah at all. Um, do you see, is everyone kind of following along with the theology that I'm describing in traditional Christian circles? In my opinion, it's a kind of a straw man theology because it's an easily uh, dismantable uh, theology. In other words, all we have to do is understand from the book of Romans and the book of Galatians that uh, uh, no one can keep the law. It's, it's a futile attempt. And therefore, um, the book of Galatians kind of gives us the uh, uh, the theology that we need to, to kind of uh, abandon Torah observance or um, any attempt at keeping Torah because no one can keep it all and no one can keep it perfectly. However, however, if you've been if you if the if you've been following along with me for any length of time, if you are with me in this study at week 58, uh, then you know by now that I don't follow that line of thinking. I don't believe that A, Paul thought that the Jewish people of his day were interpreting the Torah in such a way as to believe that they had to keep every single commandment. And number two, they were not interpreting the Torah in such a way as to believe that not only did they have to keep every single commandment, but they had to keep every part of it perfectly, blamelessly, without sin. Do you understand my point? So both of those um, factors are important as I, um, uh, as I understand reading the book of Galatians and really just studying the Torah. Neither one of those viewpoints is present in the Torah. However... How then do I explain this phrase, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law? As we read in Deuteronomy 27:26, doesn't it seem that that's what Deuteronomy is saying? Doesn't it seem that Moshe is in fact saying to every Israelite that if you don't continue to do everything, I mean it does say everything, written in the book of the law, then you're under a curse. Sounds like that, that that's kind of, sounds like I've, I've kind of worked myself into a corner. All right, let me read my commentary and explain what I think is a correct rendering of the verse. By the way, I'm not the only one. I'm, I'm not trying to say that I've, I've arrived at this position on my own. <laughs> Far from it. There are many, many uh, um, well-respected and um, uh, mature, uh, and some immature, uh, Christians who have arrived at the same uh, conclusion that I'm about to share with you, as well as a great number of Jewish commentators who have arrived at the same position. So, um, this is not something I have made up. Let's read my commentary. Near the bottom of page 113, the phrase, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law, end quote, 
is, of course, lifted from Deuteronomy 27.26. Of course, that's indicated by the familiar, for it is written, that Paul says. One of the keys, I believe, to correctly understanding the verse from Deuteronomy, and thus Paul's use of it here in Galatians, is in understanding that, quote, everything written in the book, end quote, also, indeed, primarily includes faith in Yeshua as the promised Messiah. Now, I have to pause for a moment and let that part sink in. So, uh, faith in Messiah is one of the things written in the book of the law, in my understanding of the book of the law. For indeed, knowing, knowing this from 21st century hindsight, Yeshua is the very conclusion, the very goal that everything written in the book is pointing to. For instance, if you read Romans 10.4 in Paul, which is uh, from the KJV is something like, for the Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes under righteousness, or something to that effect. If we take the word end there in that verse where it says Christ is the end of the law, and we translate it as not cessation like some commentaries do, but instead translate it as the goal or the uh, purpose, uh, the intended destination, uh, uh, working from that Greek word telos, then we can say that, like David Stern's translation, this, the complete Jewish Bible, as well as, I think, the Tree of Life version, uh, Christ is the goal of the law. Christ is the purpose of the law. Christ is the end point of the law. Christ is the destination of the law. He's not the cessation of the law. He's the point at which the law arrives. He's the um, destination at which the law uh, takes us to, as if the law were a highway, a journey, a pathway that's leading us somewhere, and Christ is that destination. Therefore, we can say he is the goal of the law. He's the end, to use the English word that's so popular in many versions. God is not asking his followers uh, to try to keep every commandment in the law as some sort of simplistic grocery list of do's and don'ts in order to avoid being cursed for lack of perfection. It's not a bucket list. It's not something where... God says, okay, Israel, here you go. Get out your pens and your papers. I want you to write down everything I'm asking you to do and not to do. And make sure on your journey of life that you check them off as you do them. Because when you get to the end of the list, then I will grant you eternal life. That's not the language of the Torah. It doesn't read that way. In fact, um, let me see if I say it in my commentary. Um, uh, give me a second here. Okay, I don't say it right here. I mean, I say it elsewhere, but just follow along with me for a moment. If that were the case where the Torah was a simple li a simple kind of grocery list of check one, check two, check three, kind of delineated, you understand what I'm saying? A bucket list of one, two, three, four, five. If this were true, then as you were numbering, as you were writing down the verses of do's and not do's, or the do's and don'ts, if you were writing these down, then you would eventually encounter the book of Leviticus in your list. And what you're going to find when you get to the book of Leviticus is a lengthy list of do's in regards to the uh, uh, sacrifices. And what you're going to find in the language of, Deut of Leviticus is that the language of the sacrifices is written in such a way as to incorporate the existence of sin being present in the community of the people, the community of Israel. Meaning, when you sin, you are to bring this sacrifice. So if the list of dues includes bringing sacrifices, then the list of dues automatically presumes that you are sinning 
in order to bring some of the sacrifices. I know that not all of the sacrifices um, uh, atone for sin. I'm well aware of that. You can read through the book of Leviticus and, and understand that. Some of the sacrifices have nothing to do with sin. They simply have to do with bringing a Thanksgiving offering or a, a fellowship-type offering, a kind of a, having a meal with God, etc. But some of, the, some of the sacrifices are indeed ex, what we call expiatory. They atone for sin. They affect sin. They... Um, um, they anticipate that sin is going to need be needed to be cleansed or atoned for, or remediation is going to be made between wronged parties. That is to say, you're going to have to be repaying people uh, for wrongs committed against them, other people in the community. You're going to have to be um, repaying, you know, paying them back, things like that. So, um, in other, in some cases, money. You're you're paying them back money up to like, and including with a certain amount of what we might call a uh, interest or something to that effect. Um, in other words, the, 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 the simple thing that I'm trying to say to you is that if this were a list that God was expecting us to do, then some of the parts of the list includes bringing sacrifices, which also in, includes the assumption, nay, the uh, understanding, that we have sinned against one another and that we have sinned against God, which means God does not expect perfection. If God did expect perfection, then he wouldn't have given us all of the commandments about bringing sacrifices when we sin, because he would have expected that we're already sinless. Therefore, the list would just include a bunch of do's, but it would not include the parts that say, if you fail, bring this sacrifice, etc., etc. See what I'm saying? In other words, the Torah anticipates that we're going to fail. It anticipates that we're going to fail, and therefore it anticipates sin, therefore it anticipates the remedy known as sacrifice. Therefore... The Torah does not expect sinless perfection. So, and a good a good length, a good section of the Torah is given over to what to do when you sin, not what to do uh, because you're sinless. So, the Torah is not written within a with the mindset of a sinless people in mind. God didn't give the Torah to a people with the expectation that they would not sin. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God knew over and over that we would sin, and therefore that we would need a remedy to, to uh, uh, come back from that state, that status of unrighteous, of um, sinner. So, that's really one of the central reasons why the theology that teaches that um, the Torah is teaching sinless perfection cannot stand. Just read through the Torah and you'll understand that. Alright, so what do I have to say in my commentary? Indeed, Yeshua is the very conclusion, the very goal that everything written in the book is pointing to. We have to remember that the law is given by God for a purpose. It was not just given to allow the people to have some sort of um, code for living, some sort of um, constitution as a people group. It wasn't given so that they could just have some way to live their life different from what they lived in Egypt. In fact, it was given, it was designed to bring them to the conclusion, uh, to the confession that Jesus is Lord. Even though Jesus' name isn't mentioned, we know this from Christian hindsight, that the entirety of the Torah points towards Messiah, and that even the sacrifices themselves were, for, were a foreshadowing of his ultimate atonement enacted for us on the cross. So all of the Torah is this giant flashlight shining in a very dark room, towards a door at the far end of this very dark room, and that door is the Messiah. The Torah has a purpose. The Torah has a goal. The Torah has a reason that it was given to the people of Israel. And it was not just given so that they could look uh, nifty amongst the other people groups. 
God is not asking his followers to try to keep every commandment of the law some sort of simplistic grocery list of do's and don'ts in order to avoid being cursed for lack of perfection. Paul sees another gospel being presented by his detractors, namely the gospel of Jewish identity and proselyte conversion for Gentiles, a gospel that bypasses Yeshua as the exclusive object of faith spelled out by the Torah and instead substitutes it for the false object of faith called ethnicity and Torah obedience for Jews only. Now, that sentence right there is kind of meaty. Uh, let, let me just kind of unpack that for you. Basically, in Paul's day, the Jewish people had, had, had uh, misunderstood Torah and the intent of the giving of the Torah, and they knew that there was a righteousness that God was offering both on a community level as well as an individual level. They knew that there was righteousness. And they knew that it was more than just moral righteousness. They knew, knew that it was more than just cultural righteousness. They knew that it was more than just behavioral righteousness. They knew that the righteousness that the Torah was enjoining upon them was actually an everlasting righteousness. The language of the Torah suggests, especially if you collaborate it, uh, corroborate it with the uh, later uh, prophets and things like that, which Israel was in possession of by, the, by Paul's day, you, they understood that, that actually God was inviting them into a, into a, a, lo- a lifelong an eternal relationship with them. I think we can give the rabbis credit at least that much. They knew that the Torah wasn't just a document that spelled life in in this age, but in fact um, pointed them and propelled them, carried them into life in the world to come, the olam haba, the age to come. They knew that there was what we might call a, a retirement package that was in view, if we could use that uh, borrow that phrase for a moment, but what they misunderstood was exactly how it was how how one got into that relationship. How did one find himself in a position where God declared him as righteous, where God would declare uh, at the end of days that a person is righteous, and that God would actually bring him into the olam haba, the age to come, and present him with the status of righteous? How did they? How did one arrive at that uh, conclusion? The people of Paul's day, the leaders, had come to the incorrect conclusion that it was group membership, that it was ethnicity, that it was um, peoplehood, that was personhood, that it was legal identity known as Judaism or Jewishness that brought them into this right relationship with God. And thus, they, they, they were blind to the fact that Yeshua is the only way, the truth, and the life that can bring a person into a right and lasting relationship with the Father. So, in a sense, there was another gospel that was competing with the genuine gospel. And we simply label this competition, we simply label this other gospel as legalism today. But it wasn't necessarily a gospel so much of doing the Torah as it was a gospel of possessing the Torah, a gospel of possession of Jewish identity, a gospel of possession of covenant membership that was earned either by birth or by conversion. So, that's the, the, the kind of the point I'm highlighting in my commentaries. That's what I mean by that whole sense of a gospel that bypasses Yeshua's exclusive object of faith spelled out by the Torah and instead substitutes it for the false object of faith called ethnicity and Torah observance for Jews only, Torah obedience. Let's keep reading. Paul is set uh, out to set the record straight in this section of his letter and he's going to do so by highlighting Avraham as the prime example of of an uncircumcised man who, whom God counted, quote, 
as righteous, end quote, based on faith. Remember, when you're reading through Galatians chapter 3, where we're reading about Abraham, the man of faith, it's helpful to, to have already read or to uh, read again Romans chapter 4, which also brings in a quote from um, the same quote from uh, Galatians, uh, Genesis uh, 15 6. Uh, and he believed in the Lord and was credited to him as righteous, speaking of Abraham, as well as the, the theology that Paul unpacks for his Galatian readers concerning this idea of God reckoning uh, Abraham's account as righteous. And we studied that a few weeks ago, how that uh, Abraham's righteousness is based on the fact that Abraham um, cast his faith on God when the promised son was in view, the promise of 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 this offspring was firmly within view, and this is also within a um, an interaction with the Word of the Lord. We studied that a few weeks past. We also know if we read through the uh, passage in the New Testament where Yeshua says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day, we know then that Abraham must have caught a glimpse of the Messiah. How else could Messiah be referring possibly to the Genesis 22 incident, where Abraham is uh, brought? where Abraham brings his son, Isaac, who's now a grown man, I suppose, up up the mountain and is ready to slay him. And yet the angel of the Lord stays Abraham's hand. He does not slay Isaac, but instead slays the ram that's caught in the thicket. What exactly did Abraham see that caused him to realize that Isaac doesn't need to die, but there would, in fact, be another sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice, that would, in fact, satisfy the requirement that God was asking of him? I think that Abraham saw with a, within a vision. I think God opened his eyes and allowed him to see the cross event myself. I, 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 and I think there are other commentaries that share this opinion. But the point I'm trying to make is that Paul is also aware of the theology and the Torah that the only way to be counted as genuine and righteous the way that Abraham was, was is to cast your faith on God via the Son of God. In other words, it cannot be a subjective faith in God, a generic faith in God, if you want to use that term. It has to be a faith in God that finds its objectivity in Yeshua himself. It, we cannot objectively place our faith in another Messiah. We cannot cast our faith on Muhammad, or on Krishna, or upon Buddha, or upon Confucius, or upon our own self-righteousness. It cannot be any other object of faith. Only the Messiah himself is uh, worthy to receive our objective faith. And Paul knows this, and that's why he's going to champion this theology that the Gentiles, just like the Jews as well, the Gentiles, if they wish to be counted as righteous by God, they must do what Abraham did. They must have objective faith in the Son of God. And they don't need to go through this man-made ceremony of changing their legal status from Gentile to Jew in order to be counted as righteous. So Paul's going to highlight this fact that Je Abraham was a Gentile when he was counted as righteous, which means his readers have to already agree with him that Abraham was in fact saved. They have to agree with him that he was righteous the same way that uh, Paul is righteous the same way that genuine Christians are righteous. They have to first believe in that theology, and then when he uses the Genesis fifteen six passage that he quoted here just a, a, a while back, then they can put two and two together and realize that his salvation came at a moment in his life when he was still a legally recognized Gentile from the theology of the influencer's perspective. Is everyone following along with me? I hope you are.
Let's keep reading my commentary. Paul is set out to set the record straight. Paul is going to prove his argument <clears throat> that genuine and lasting covenant membership is granted exclusively to those exercising objective faith in the promised Messiah of the Torah. And he's going to do this not by creating some new theology. He's going to do it by directly quoting from the Torah itself. Do you see how important it is for Paul to be able to base his theology squarely on what God has already written rather than simply rather than trying to make up something uh, create something out of thin air. Now, I know it's possible and in, in fact probable uh, and in fact uh, uh, it, it's a reality. I shouldn't say probable and possible. Those, those aren't really the correct words I'm trying to convey. What I mean is that there are new things that that the Spirit reveals to Paul that uh, perhaps the writers of the Torah were not um, uh, privy to. Uh, that's not what I'm... I'm not saying that everything in the New Testament is simply a repeat of what the Torah already gives. I've heard uh, Messianic uh, teachers teach that, uh, and I'm not sure I entirely agree with that position, that everything in the New Testament is simply a repeat of what the Old Testament said. Therefore, the New Testament can't be bringing anything new. I disagree. I think there are revelations that are given in the New Testament and in the, in the Apostolic Scriptures that indeed the the the, the, uh, the the writers of the Torah were not privy to because God's unfolding revelation was not yet for them. It was it, it required uh, Yeshua to come and arrive, to be crucified, to be uh, resurrected, to be ascend, ascended, and for the Spirit to be poured out in order for certain revelation to be given and received by the uh, writers uh, of the Apostolic Scriptures. However, let's read uh, my commentary here and understand that even though much of the New Testament might in fact be, say, new revelation, it is still in agreement and in fact based and rooted in the antecedent theology of the Tanakh and of the Torah itself. Let's read my commentary. I think we'll be able to finish this section on um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, at least if I just read my commentary. Let's see what I can get through. If we don't finish it this week, then we'll just finish it next week, so I'm not really uh, worried about that. All right, let's keep reading my commentary right here in this paragraph, starting with the word another. Another key to correctly understanding this verse here uh, is to make the connection with historical context and remind ourselves that any ideology that strips God, his Torah, and his promises, indeed the very gospel itself, from the inclusion of the Gentiles in scope is an ideology worthy of God's curse. What do I mean? Put another way, the ostensible covenant member practicing the works of the law in Paul's day, which would be, when we say the works of the law, this would be the Torah for Jews only, the works of the law. Any ostensible supposed, that is, covenant member practicing this law for Jews only, is not, by God's very standard of righteousness, doing all that the law asks of covenant members. Why? Because to live one's life according to the works of the law, this Torah for Jews only, is to discount those Gentiles who live by faith as genuine covenant members in Israel. Are you, all, are, are, are you guys understanding what I'm saying here? The Torah that is supposedly for Jews only, like the Jews in Paul's day were preaching, and like the Jews of today are preaching, and like many, um, unfortunately, many Messianics are also preaching that the Torah is for Jews only. Such a Torah is not in accordance with the Torah itself. Doing all that the law asks, when Paul says, 
uh, you must do all that the book is requiring. Remember, he just quoted Deuteronomy. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by everything written in the law. If we believe that the law is for Jews only, then we are actually not doing all that the law is requiring. Let me explain. We can be sure that Paul rejects this line of reasoning, the line that says that the Torah is for Jews only. We can, re we can be sure that Paul rejects the line of reasoning that says that the Torah is for Jews only because he states quite emphatically in Romans 3, 29 and 30, quote, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, end quote. That's from the ESV. Now, let me just pause for a moment and look at that verse in Romans. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? In the first part of the verse, he mentioned Jews and Gentiles specifically by name, using the Greek words that translate over into English as Jew and Gentile. These are the words we're familiar with. But then he goes on to say, is God not the God of the who, who will justify the circumcised and the uncircumcised with the same method called faith? This phrase, circumcised and uncircumcised, these phrases are really the same words, Jew and Gentile, respectively. The circumcised are the Jews, and the uncircumcised are the Gentiles. I don't think anyone was uh, misunderstanding that who's reading that verse. We can, we can kind of opine that naturally by reading the verse. But the point that Paul's trying to highlight, at least one of them in this passage out of Romans, is that if God is the God of Jews, if, if the Torah is the Torah for Jews only, then God is the God of the Jews only. And if Torah observance was designed to bring righteousness to Jews only, meaning there was no room for a righteous Gentile to be found in God's covenant or within the, uh, the, the um, parameters of Israel, if there's no place for a righteous Gentile to be found, if everyone who's in Israel is Jewish, and if, if righteousness is um, predicated upon one's ethnicity, then what Paul would have said in Romans 3.29 to his question is, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? He should have answered his own question by saying, God is the God of Jews only. He is not the God of Gentiles. In other words, his, 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 his uh, passage would have closed out. There wouldn't have been any need for him to say, God is the one who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised also through faith. In other words, there is no justification for the uncircumcised through faith. Because in their status, in their state of being uncircumcised, they will never reach the status of justification. If indeed the Torah is for Gen, uh, Jews only, if there is no justification outside of circumcision, you see my point? So when Paul says that uh, cursed is everyone uh, who not, does not do everything written in the book of the law, the Torah is given to Israel. It's not given to Jews only. If we read through the Torah, we'll find that there are commandments that are written for the foreigners who have joined themselves to Israel. We'll find that there are commandments that are enjoined upon the strangers, the aliens, who sojourn among Israel, who take up residency within Israel, who cast their faith on God and wish to be counted among the other Israelites, the native-born Israelites. There are commandments given to them. And therefore, God actually accepts and anticipates that they will be um, enjoining themselves upon covenant membership via keeping of the commandments and faith in God. Therefore, the path to righteousness uh, for the Gentiles wishing to be counted as righteous is the same one that the Jews have to travel. It's, it's um, walking the road of faith, 
uh, obedience to the commandments. And uh, remember, as I've already described, this this highway of faith and obedience leads to the Messiah himself, the highway of faithfulness, if I want to describe it that way. All right, let's keep reading my commentary. The uh, reference to Deuteronomy by Shaul, by the way, is neither a direct quote from the Masoretic text nor a direct quote from the Greek Septuagint, the LXX. So Paul doesn't use either one. Uh, I say in my commentary that he may simply be paraphrasing the general meaning of the verse for his readers. All right, but let's see if we can unpack the verse uh, using um, the Hebrew and the Greek to see if we can understand what the verse is trying to say. Because at, cur- at face value, it does seem to be implying that anyone who does not uh, mechanically... Um, uh, what do we say? Um, uh, what's the other word I want to use? Systematically is the word I'm looking for. Mechanically and systematically keep every commandment of the Torah is under a curse. And I, I think we have the tendency, as both Jews and Gentiles, to misunderstand what this verse means. The reference I already mentioned is not a direct quote. Um, the Greek of abide out of the ESV, cursed is everyone who does not abide. The Greek actually is emino. That's the original Greek word. And it does not need to mean or even imply perfect obedience when we say abide. Uh, it doesn't need to mean uh, perfect obedience to the Torah like the popular opinion suggests. Cursed is everyone who does not abide in everything. Um, indeed, if we go back to the Hebrew, which I read in my liturgy, the original verse from the Torah reads, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm. Confirm is a different word than abide. It does not confirm the words of his law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. So, um, in fact, to insert all before the phrase, the words, end quote, is, in my opinion, a translator's prerogative, right? Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all of the words of the Torah. Um, So, in other words, um, when we look at some translations out of the English, both of the uh, passage from Deuteronomy as well as the passage that's lifted and quoted in the um, Galatians, um, if we insert all there, let's just take a look real quick. Aror arshir lo yakim, yakim et divrei, uh, let me bring up a um, an interlinear so you can see uh, this word, which words in Hebrew are uh, all and which ones are not. Uh, give me a seven. Uh, give me a second. Twenty-seven, twenty-six. Okay. So uh, I've got the um, I've got an interlinear interlinear pulled up here for you. For those of you who are in live commentary, you can see this on your screen. Deuteronomy twenty-seven, twenty-six. Uh, Reading from right to left, we've got cursed he, he who not are confirms all the words. So in the from the Hebrew version, yakim um, et divrei Torah, yakim is confirms et is what we might call the sign of the definite article. So it's untranslatable by the translators. It, um, in other words, it doesn't have a direct English translation. It's just kind of a something that shows up in the grammar of the Hebrew, but it doesn't correspond to any English. So it's this word, et. And then we have um, divrei, which would be the words. And then we have Torah, hazot, which would be the law of this. Divrei is the plural of the Hebrew word davar. So davar is word, and divrei would be all 
words, or the translators simply put all the words, um, making for the. And the word, the point I'm trying to make is the word all there isn't actually even in the Hebrew. If we go over to the Greek and again pull maybe some some Greek or interlinear. Uh, give me a moment. Let's pull up three ten. All right, for those of us in the class, again, you'll see, as many as indeed are of the works of law under curse, as it has indeed been written, cursed is everyone who does not con continue in all things. So we got pasin here is the Greek word translated all things. If we look up the word pasin um, in using the Strong's uh, concordance for us, it simply means the whole, every kind of all, the whole. So now we've got every... Uh, we could say that this would be all in the English. Um, modifies a word with a definite article, the all, or all in the sense of every, every part that applies. So it looks like the Greek pulls that, but the, but the Hebrew doesn't. Let's go back and look at my comment here for a moment. So, um, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. To insert... All before the phrase the words is a translator prerogative, but it's not absolutely needed. The Hebrew for confirm in Deuteronomy is kum. This is from the Hebrew. The, the, the Hebrew word for confirm is kum, which literally means to stand up or rise. So if I go back and look at this, give me a moment. Let me just pull the, uh, the interlinear of this for a moment instead. Interlinear verse. Change the way you're looking at it. Um... A second, that's not what I want. I want this. All right. So if you look at my screen for a second, you'll see um, I've got all the words kind of lined up for us in the English and in the Hebrew. Hebrew's right here in the middle, and the English is right out here. Um, Yakim is confirms. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yakim is confirms. The root word itself is uh, kum. If I click on the link for the Strong's, you'll see it here. Shows up here. That's our word kum. And uh, Strong says it's a primitive root, if I use the word kum, and the definition is to arise, to stand up. We, we, we translate it as um, confirm. If I go back over to the uh, um, English translation, uh, cursed is he who does not confirm all the words. Or, uh, let me go ahead and read my commentary, and you'll see where I'm going with this rabbit trail. The Hebrew for confirm in Deuteronomy is kum, which literally means to stand or rise up. When we combine the Masoretic text version of this clause, quote, confirm the words of this law, in quote, in this verse with the second clause, by doing them, we get the sense of, quote, taking a stand for the Torah by obedience to its precepts, statutes, and commandments, end quote. If we were to kind of woodenly translate the word kum back into the Hebrew, or back into the, uh, into the verse, and use the word stand or something like that instead of abide. So we know as believers that, per its God-given design, the Torah leads to Christ. Um, we know that the uh, we know that the Torah leads to Christ. We saw this in Romans nine thirty one. Um, I'm sorry, we saw this in Romans. Uh, uh, well, we see it in two places in Romans. I've already quoted Romans ten four. Christ is the goal of the law. You can also see Galatians three twenty four. The law is the tutor, safeguarding our journey to Christ. But also look at Romans 9.31, where Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. I believe the word righteousness there entails uh, not only behavioral, but actual, but ultimately uh, uh, forensic. Um, 
so we know that uh, the Torah leads to Christ. I don't mean woodenly to say that doing the Torah leads to Christ. What I mean is that the goal of the Torah as we um, uh, exercise genuine faith in God will lead us to the same conclusion that genuine faith in God equals genuine faith in Christ. In fact, the moment that we arrive at genuine faith in God, we have actually arrived at genuine faith in, in Yeshua because I believe they are one and the same. Genuine faith in God, not just subjective personal, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, subjective, um, what people might call uh, um, a kind of a generic faith in God. I don't think that's the case. The deeper meaning of this quote from Deuteronomy, I believe, is then masterfully explained by Paul as this, quote, the genuine and lasting covenant member initiate, as well as the existing covenant member, must follow after all that God has spoken to do, which includes recognizing that the Torah ultimately portrays covenant national Israel as a bouquet of Jews and Gentiles. Remember the quote from uh, Romans 3 that I've used there, God is God the God of Jews and Gentiles. I believe that the Torah ultimately portrays covenant national Israel as a bouquet of Jews and Gentiles who confess allegiance, <clears throat> allegiance to Hashem and His laws. And to the extent that those in national Israel go on to matriculate to faith in Yeshua, right, their loyalty must include law as upheld by the Messiah of Israel. Their righteousness, their quote-unquote righteousness, and genuine covenant membership is then demonstrated by genuine faith, which is rooted in, quote, listening to all the words of the prophet, that God raised up among them, end quote. And that's a lifted from Deuteronomy 18.15. Now we know that this prophet uh, spoken about in Deuteronomy 18.15 is namely Yeshua. And we can see that if we look at the footnotes that I have in my commentary. Footnote number 106 uh, references Galatians 6.2 about bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ, which I believe is includes the Torah. Um, but uh, footnote number 107, where we're talking about where Israel says that uh, uh, we will listen to the words of the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. This is a condition agreed upon by corporate Israel herself at the inauguration of the covenant of Mount Sinai. Covenant on Mount Sinai is recorded by Moshe in Exodus 19, 7 through 8, where, Moshe, where uh, Israel says, all that you have said we will do. So if Israel in response to God giving of the Torah, says all that you have said we will do. And then Moshe says in Deuteronomy 26, that cursed is anyone who does not confirm to all the words, confirm being, uh, uh, or abide being, um, or confirm using the Hebrew word kum, meaning to take a stand for, or do all what the Torah is asking. Well then, if the Torah is asking Israel to listen to the words of the prophet who will be sent among them out of Deuteronomy chapter 18, well then Israel is essentially saying, Lord, uh, God, we will do all that you ask us to do, which includes believing in the one that you will send who will, t uh, who, who will be like after you, not indeed the one who will be the angel of the Lord incarnate. In other words, Lord, we have promised that we will uh, um, be obedient to Torah, which includes genuine faith in Messiah. Now it seems like um, I'm um, uh, uh, what do we say? Um, it seems like I'm um, begging the argument to use a logical uh, fallacy. I'm begging the argument. I'm begging. I'm uh, begging the question. I mean, I'm I'm bringing in some sort of um, inspiration from the New Testament that wasn't there in the Old Testament to say that 
uh, that Torah is asking the people of Israel to believe in Yeshua. But I, next week, I'm going to show you how this, in fact, must be the case in order for the righteousness that is spoken about of the Torah to actually be the very same righteousness that Paul speaks about in his letters. Namely, that the righteousness that is granted to genuine and lasting covenant members is the righteousness that is granted in faith in Messiah. And that there is not a new faith that the Torah speaks about. In other words, there are not two ways to be counted as righteous, such as genuine faith in God and then genuine faith in Messiah. There's not two different ways. In other words, we cannot say, let me just say it this way to use 21st century language, we cannot say that people who have genuine faith in God, such as the Jews, are righteous and that they'll go to heaven. And yet also Christians who have genuine faith in Messiah are also saved and will go to heaven. You see what I'm saying? There are not two Gospels. There's not a Gospel of faith in God, minus Yeshua, and a gospel of faith in Christ, which of course includes Yeshua. There's only one true gospel. And the one true gospel is faith in Messiah, which means that there's genuine faith in God and there's spurious faith in God. But we'll unpack part of that next week. For now, let me bring this part of the commentary to a close. We left off the top of page 114. We'll pick up this uh, argument again where we're trying to work our way through this difficult passage of Deuteronomy's quote, uh, cursed is everyone who does not abide by everything written in the, in the law. And I'll do a better job of explaining the Hebrew and the Greek next week. Uh, I felt like I was running out of time this week and I apologize for the uh, short treatment. I'll go back through the Hebrew and the Greek a little more uh, extensively next week, okay? Let's close in prayer. Father, I bless your name and I thank you for uh, each and every student has joined me tonight. I pray that you'll continue to bless them and heal them and that you'll continue to raise them up with the uh, mandate to, to take uh, this gospel to everyone who would listen. Thank you, Lord, that you have filled us with your spirit so that we can be light, so that we can be strong, so that we can be um, a witness for you. Thank you that you have given us your words of life and that you have preserved your Torah for us. This is our blueprint for living. This is uh, the way in which we will walk. This is, in fact, <clears throat> the lifestyle that we will lead. And, Lord, we want to uh, be pleasing to you, so therefore we will walk in your ways. Uh, bless us, Father, uh, as we continue to go about um, uh, studying and seeking to do your will, and we'll continue to give you the praise and the glory for all of these wonderful things. Oh, Maine. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. 
My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>